You're listening to Zeros on Heroes with Mike Mercadol. Hey everybody, welcome to Zeros on Heroes. My name is Mike Mercadol. Thank you to everyone who's been coming out to the Unsung Heroes live shows at the Creek in the Cave in Long Island City, Queens. Every Thursday at 8 p.m. Well, except for last Thursday, because I was at New York Comic Con. That's right. I got a chance to uh, go to New York Comic Con as a press person. That's right. I got press credentials for for, for a little on Zeros on Heroes. I got press uh, access to celebrities and i asked them dumb questions i asked some good questions too but i was I, I i busied myself pretending to be a reporter while everyone else was actually doing it and i was asking asking zeros on heroes type questions uh with respect but the idea is that they would sit us down at the uh, in the press room at these tables and then they would just bring the bring the stars around they would bring the actors and actresses and the uh, the producers and some of the writers and i got some some pretty cool content i got some some great access and I'm sharing that with you now. Um, the audio, I will say, is is uh, different than what you're used to from Zeros on Heroes. It feels more like the Unsung Heroes show, to be honest. Um, uh, it still sounds pretty good. So I'm very grateful for the Zoom H6 recorder plug for Zoom H6N. Uh, get your Zoom, get the sound in your... Br- or whatever, some pl- plug tagline slogan. Uh, the first episode of this uh, series of shows that are all kind of uh, the New York Comic Con 2018 recap is going to be about Star Trek Discovery. Are you watching Star Trek Discovery? Do you have CBS All Access? Because that's where it is. And it's I feel like it should be on... It's a good show. It should be on the, the full network. It should be uh, kind of one of these tentpole shows. I think it's it makes sense that they want to, a big show for uh, to draw people to their streaming service. But um, I don't know anyone who has CBS All Access. But if you are watching the show, you know it's good. Um, if you aren't, it's, it's great. It takes place pre-original series and there's uh, a lot going on. It feels very modern and uh, very kind of intense. There's a ton of action in the first season. It's uh, war-based and there's all kinds of crazy shit going on. And it's a it, it's a good show. I, I highly recommend it. And season two, they brought us all into the, the theater underneath Madison Square Garden and the, it was packed, man. It was full of people um, clamoring for the show and last year it was it was, it was pretty popular a uh, hugely popular panel as well it's it, it, it's all those people must have CBS all access um, they showed off some stuff for the new season uh, they showed off s- uh, trailers and some scenes and uh, answered some questions and they were really secretive about a lot of stuff so I they, they couldn't give away too much but they then funneled us out uh, the press people into this essentially kind of a like a a green room or something that was i will tell you now it was kind of like recording in a restaurant like everyone at the different tables were talking and having a good time and everyone asking questions and and uh, so you'll hear a lot of crosstalk and a lot of background chatter so you could it'll sound fine but just to give you a heads up it was it was packed in that room they they uh they were kind enough to come in, and everyone uh, who spoke with us was pretty great. The first section of interviews, this first segment, is with the co-creator and executive producers Alex Kurtzman and Heather Caden. And uh, they, they are the honchos of the show, and it was pretty cool to be able to talk to them. So take a listen. How'd you guys like that reaction out there? The crowd, full room, packed house. It's always really humbling, I have to say. Like, you know, we we all work really hard to please Trek fans, of which we consider ourselves proud members. So it's amazing, you know, to see a full crowd. When the lights came up and we saw actually how deep it was, that was pretty incredible. Yeah. That was all I wanted. That's all, that's all I wanted, just to start it off, I guess. Round table, let's do it. No, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> Um, are you excited about the second season to come? Yes. Are you scared, kind of? Or are you enjoying the time till it really starts? 
I feel like we were more, well, I don't want to speak for you, I was much more nervous about the first season yeah. because I feel like we, we had so much to earn from the fans who have loved this for so, so many years. And I feel like once they realized, no, 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 we've got them, like we, we, we are protecting your special child. So I feel like because of that, I hope that we've earned the right to push more buttons and go in more directions because hopefully fans feel confident that we know we're going to come back to a place they feel really happy with. Yeah. I can't wait for people to see it. Okay, <laughs> I'm so okay good. I'm trying to be all I, political. No, I, I can't wait mostly because we, there's been so much joy in the writer's room and in the production this season. And I think we, you know, in your first season, you're trying to figure out how do you bring Star Trek back? How do you do it in an, in an original way and yet honor everything? But we set down a groundwork both in terms of, um, you know, the bridge crew coming together and becoming the, the, the Starship family. Now we get to tell stories that explore and again keep in mind we were in a time of war last year so there was a different kind of urgency and pace to everything we get to explore a lot of the philosophical issues that Trek at its best has done we get to stop down more on character moments between people um, I will say that the, sh- the season is bigger visually than season one and season one was pretty big but we really I think kicked it up a whole several notches in terms of what we're delivering um, in action sequences and in you know so holding the balance between the the great character work that Trek is known for, the humor that Trek can be known for, um, the thoughtfulness that it's known for, and then the scope and scale of a big, big movie. All of those things are at play in season two, so I, I can't wait for people to see it. And also, Alex directed the first episode, and it's amazing. Which he's not going to say, but it's amazing. I won't say that. You tell me. But you're proud of it. But I'm, I'm proud of it. I'm just proud of the I'm proud of the cast and the crew. I think they just everybody brought it. They really brought it. A lot of TV is heavily serialized now, yeah. and you guys seem to have found a, a very uh, niche way of balancing that, but also you know, standalone episodes here yeah. story wise. So I wanted you, wondered if you could talk a little bit about that approach and specifically how you had. Did you take that same approach with season two? Did you want to tell just a longer story? There's a mystery. So you know. In the um, in the on the panel, when Michelle was talking about killing her character off in the second episode, that was always the plan because we knew we were going to mirror where she was going to meet her. So the idea is you spend time at the beginning of the year really thinking through your season and saying where do we want to get to, and how do we reverse engineer the ending that we want to get to. And once you know the ending of your season, you can you can start planting all the seeds in the right way and laying down the path. So um, no, I think that we. We know where, we have known where we wanted to go from the beginning, and I think the fun of it is getting there in ways ways that surprise, sure. uh, ways that you know, it, if the audience thinks that they're onto where we're headed, they might be right and they also might be wrong, and that's been really fun. Um, I do think that in a way, what we think about most is emotional serialization, meaning the characters have experiences and they take those emotional experiences with them to the next episode. But Trek you know uh, has a pretty long tradition of closed ended episodes now we we again even at a plot level we're still pretty serialized um, but yes we sort of look at it as chunks there are chunks and sections and big movements in the you know in the orchestra of the piece I've got one super question and someone else can go what's going to be the structure is it going to be like set number of episodes break and then a set number of episodes no it's, it's uh, thank you for asking 13 straight 13 straight in terms of casting, when how do you deal with how do you approach that when you're uh, trying to find someone to fill the shoes of as a iconic a character and a performance as Spock? Yeah. Well, carefully. Yeah, very carefully. I mean, here, here's the thing: you have to start by saying no one can fill those shoes. Meaning, no one can fill those shoes. Leonard Nimoy was Leonard Nimoy, and Zach Quinto is Zach Quinto. So what we need to do is ask ourselves what is the spirit that has represented that character and why has that endured through so many different actors and then how do we maintain that and then find an actor who can both bring their own thing to it but also protect and uphold that spirit so it's not really about doing an imitation of someone else's performance it's about getting into the beating heart of who Spock is as a character Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
That's right, baby. Spock. We're getting Spock in season two. And uh, I got to sit down and talk to the actors uh, that play both Spock and Captain Pike. Yeah, this is very exciting for uh, Star Trek lore nerds. Uh, and then also you could totally hear what I was talking about, uh, about how it sounds like you're trying to record it in Olive Garden or whatever. Uh, when you're here, your family. Here we go. Uh, we're going to sit down and talk to Anson Mount and Ethan Peck. Hello. Greetings. Is this as high tech Leon as... Uh, yes. Very familiar. Yeah. Uh, it's really scary and hugely uh, humbling, and I'm deeply honored. And I've put in a lot of work and I have a lot more work to do. That's what it's like. <laughs> How about you? Me? You get to like invent him. Pretty much. Yeah. There's, there's, there wasn't a lot, uh, there wasn't a lot of shoe leather laid down for this character, thankfully. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I don't know, I don't, I kind of learned at this point the questions that are, and the concerns that are going to help me and the questions and concerns that are not going to help me as an actor, so I don't really think about that. Sorry to be boring. <laughs> How does it feel knowing that your character ultimately suffers a near-fatal dose of delta rays and ends up in a wheelchair controlled by his, his brainwaves? Well, it's 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 a new thing uh, to have a beginning and an end and no middle to a character. Uh, and if we ever get to explore that, I think that the the fun part would be how do you get the character to that point? in a way that's not a tragedy but a triumph when you got the like the, you were brought on you're cast to get the scripts and you're sort of breaking down the story um, and you're learning about your characters what was your first impression of these characters that they for you outside of like their iconic guests and all those things but what was your first impression of who this person was I just said it to that to them as an answer to a different question but oh, okay. the same holds true which is I only knew that he probably had good parents and he definitely had good mentors um, something I like to reference this quote from Wrath of Khan when Kirk speaks of Spock at his funeral and he says uh, he's one of the most human things entities beings that I knew and I think on the page that the page that I got he's uh, he's a humanist and he struggles to uh, make sense of his love and his care for for all beings you know I, it, he's such a peaceable person um, and that's very important to me in my construction of him so there are two uh, amongst the uh, press people here two pretty good beards going on you brought a beard to spot <laughs> well how much of that how much did they belabor uh, how much beard length shape oh man because I can it's... only imagine that they went crazy trying to figure out what would work well so when I was uh, before I came to, to film um, they were like don't shave and I was like what they were like yeah I was like okay and I thought it was going to go um, I didn't know how long it was going to go for you'll see how long it goes for I guess um, but yeah I mean it's very specific or you know here and um, she does a very my uh, you know Shauna's last name Shauna she has like an Irish last name our, our key makeup artist does an amazing job and tends to it every day very diligently and um, yeah it's very specific I'm looking for a beard groomer someone to groom my like <laughs> having a, your own personal beard person it's, it's is, a dream I've never had a beard before did so. you expect that when you got into acting that that would be one of your like perks that you would get someone to just groom you constantly my wildest dreams yeah that's crazy. Um, is there anything particularly excited for people to see when the new season drops I mean, yeah, all of it. I can't wait to see it. This guy looks amazing. It's so cool seeing it. I, 
Daniels. I know what my answer is, but I cannot say. <laughs> There's so much you can't say with this show. I think I'm excited for people to see the relationship between Spock and Michael. Oh, okay. I think that'll be really fulfilling and satisfying. How did you find the balance between um, being influenced by Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Quinto and what they brought to Spock, and then making him your own interpretation as well? Yeah. So I've mostly focused on Nimoy um, because that's ultimately who I will become, um, the Spock that I am. Uh, so mostly, I mean, I've, I've seen all the Star Trek films, and I think Quinto's amazing. Um, they're very different, in my opinion. Um, I think there's a a great sort of strength and danger about Nimoy Spock um, that's right beneath the surface and very steady that I I have in my brain is kind of a a, a point of direction or projection yeah um, for answer, oh, I was just going to ask you uh, who would win in a fight Pike or Picard but uh, Pike who would win because uh, uh, Jean-Luc Picard the character is going to be on uh, in uh, coming back and and who would uh, would I was just going to make a goofy question would you beat up Patrick Stewart if you had to absolutely well, by the time I got there I'd be what 300 years old <laughs> I think he could take me yeah. thanks thank you, thank you very thank you much that's right Anson Mount is going to punch Patrick Stewart right in his face I think I don't know maybe who knows uh, but it, it, there's so much that they could not say you could feel them not wanting to give away any secrets which uh, kind of comes into play I talked to Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz who well one of them is supposed to be dead how is he in season two who knows well we'll find out I guess if you watch the show but uh, it was uh, great to sit down and talk with them they are next I was actually really relieved to see you on the list for this press, um, and I'm glad that um, you're coming back. Were you guys at all disappointed to see the relationship seemingly end so quickly, so soon in season one? Well, I, what, I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I don't always want to know all the things that are going to happen. I like to, because I'm in this show, I like, I don't, the character doesn't know, so it's nice to kind of discover it as it, as it goes along. What the producers had told me was that things, something rough happens, so I didn't know if that meant we broke up, he got sent to a different ship, what? he died, whatever. So, uh, he doesn't like to know ahead of time. Yeah, I like, you know, so, of course, he comes to me area, so now what happens? No, I don't, I don't want to. So uh, it was it was intense, but it also felt like everything else. Like it was done in a in a way that felt very. It wasn't just arbitrary. And there's you know, it it, it was meant to have an impact, and it was meant to be shocking, not just for shock value, but like deeply upsetting. And so that happened. I mean, those were all reasons to do it that were beyond just any sort of like half-ass anything. So it was really also great to learn that our story would continue in what has turned out to be I think really interesting way. Um, I found out I didn't know until about a, f- a month before um, we shot the episode and as I've said I've, it gave me a time to process my Puerto Rican response and um, but you know as you'll see when this when the second season is over or when it begins that um, there's a real reason why things happened the way that they happened and he ha- that had to happen in order for him to go through what he's about to go through which for me was really satisfying just as an actor to be able to do and um, and as a fan of the show right like that we get to tell the story um, in a real fleshed out way um, but it doesn't come without a price having seen you the cons, I have my suspicions that you're actually quite a hardcore Trekkie. Uh, no, does, I mean, I don't, I wanna, I'm not a hardcore Trekkie like my friend Bill is a hardcore Trekkie. Yes. Okay. I mean, yeah. Does, does having... It's all relative. <laughs> does, does having a, a sort of a, a deep canon background inform and improve your performance or is it actually better going in without that knowledge, that baggage? Wow. I mean, I think, well, I, I can say that it's, it's just been a source of inspiration to me to be 
able to watch the incredible work that has been done over the years by wonderful actors and the writing and the ideas and the themes that have been dealt with have, have made me really inspired to be a, that much more inspired to be a part of it than I already was. Um, like I had never, I, before I got cast, I had never seen Next Gen. I was, I've been working as an actor, you know, at a time when there was no TiVo. So I couldn't, I didn't, I, you know, I just wasn't, I, I missed all of it. I was working. So to go back then and witness the incredible work of Patrick Stewart and Brett Spiner and the writing of episodes like Darmok and Yesterday's Enterprise and, and Measure the Man, you know, like these, that's the, that's what, to me, that's the epitome of, because I already, I was already familiar with the great stuff of, of the original series. To see how that could continue through the age made me like so happy that I got to work. So when, when did you start watching Next Gen? When I got cast. Yeah. So I watched the original series as a kid all the time, you know, lots, and I'd seen the original movies, and I saw the J.J. Abrams movies, and it's always been a part of my overall nerd love, but then I went, did the deep dive into understanding the other, how it's continued, how it's continued. Um, but having the knowledge of the original series, also seeing the ways, knowing the ways and seeing the ways that our show will stitch up into it, especially given I know that some people are really skeptical about that, continue like the other day, someone on Twitter still accused me of lying that we're in the Prime Universe, you know, for instance. That was yesterday. You know. Uh, I, I find it really satisfying as a long-term fan of these things to see how much care is being taken to make sure that all of that stuff does fit together, but it is asking something of the fandom to have faith. And as we all know, many fandoms have been betrayed often by things, so I understand sometimes why they're skeptical, but they can have faith. Um, a lot of Stanley's rough edges kind of smoothed over the first season. Does that continue this year? Um, to some degree, but there's moments still. Like, I was just, I was looping the other day, like, you know, re-recording some dialogue, adding some new dialogue. You know, take, take Natara and I have a couple oh boy. sparky moments you know, that, are, that were very fun to play. I was going to ask, I'm a comedian uh, oh, yeah. cosplaying as a reporter right now. Um, yeah. The But Tignataro is known for having this real dry, deadpan. And uh, was there moments where you had trouble keeping it together um, during takes and stuff like that? Yes. Mostly because she has a terrible time memorizing her lines. She will be the first to tell you this. When we were, we're sitting in the chairs between takes, she's running the lines perfectly. And then she gets on set and she's like, what is it? <laughs> what is it? <laughs> huh? What? Like, but then she does a great job, ultimately. But like, so that's just... I enjoyed and it. Thoroughly. She never panics though. She's never like, oh god, like she's no. just like, what? Huh? No. <laughs> Give me the line. I don't then, think of Tig Notaro as a panicky person. No, she no, seems no. pretty chill. She's phenomenal human yeah. being. Never met I'm excited to even heal yeah. I'm excited to see with, how she, yeah. her character on the show and how she's so great. Yeah. She's so funny. I was so great. It's awesome when I saw her cast it. So yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, they're kicking you out. Yeah. That's right, Tignataro is in Star Trek. Tignataro. Also, Tignataro thrown under the bus by Anthony Rapp. Yeah, that's uh, rude to say the least. I don't know. I can't wait to see Tig on the show. It's going to be super interesting and I unintentionally funny. Maybe, who knows? Uh, this next group, I sat down with a pair, uh, Doug Jones and Mary Wiseman. Doug Jones is a, kind of a hero of mine. My dream job is to be a monster in anything just full makeup monster thing and that's kind of doug jones's world he's been if you've seen you know you know who he is by by role he's he was in uh, the shape of water he was abe sapien in hellboy he was in pan's labyrinth doing the creepy hand eyes thing he's an he's he was slender man he's been he's he's the go-to guy for rubber mask work he's uh on this show, he's a fully fledged character. He's got to put this weird the the, the, the he's Commander Saru on the show, uh, the main alien dude, and he's great. And I kind of got to sit next to him and to talk to him. It was kind of I was a bit starstruck. He got me. Of all of the people that to be starstruck by, he got me. Um, listen. Doug's gonna scooch in here in a 
second. Oh. I thought they were letting you fly solo. You get to handle all of the questions yourself. Oh, gosh, I'm not ready. <laughs> uh, so I was going to ask, uh, um, I'm a comedian coming from a comedy background, and you've uh, played uh, uh, some comedic roles, and you seem to bring kind of a levity to the... Uh, I bring kind of a levity... Hey, that, all right, never mind. Hello. Uh, um, I forgot the question I was asking. Comedian, you're the comedic. Oh, sure. So you bring a kind of a, your, uh, there's a, like a, some moments of levity with your character that kind of, and then there's also a complete swing in terms of, of that. Uh, do you find um, having that balance? And like Michelle Yeoh explaining in the panel that she gets to play three different yeah. versions of herself that exercises like a little, like the, the muscles differently and keeps it fresh? Right. Yeah, it's a bit more exciting and a bit more satisfying to me as an actor because we all contain multitudes, you know, and no one wants to play one note forever. And so I think we've been very generous in letting Tilly have more of a life than just maybe what she seems on the surface, which is also an important lesson, I think, as a character study, that people contain more than just the outside uh, container. Um, uh, so, yeah, for me, it's it's very exciting. It's, it's much more satisfying to get to ping pong back and forth and to understand how those two parts of her can act. Um, yeah. And you also get, uh, Doug, uh, you get some comedic moments as well and just the people dealing with with your race you've described that you're going through going to go through an evolution in season two but that you cannot talk about I'm assuming there's so yeah uh, and I'm sure when uh, people grow and their bodies go through changes there's lots of comedy involved in that I can only imagine for uh, a different species entirely right adolescence is funny yes um, uh, and uh, Saru uh, yeah is well, we don't we don't know how old Saru is oh that's a fair point and, and we don't know uh, how old he can get uh, so uh, so I think we're going to find out a little bit more about that, maybe. Um, and so, so awkward and funny can also is, is a very thin line between that and and emotional and tear jerking. So we we, uh, we again, like Mary just said, all the all the all the colors are there. We just uh, what what color do you dip your brush into that day? And the writers have been very good about giving us all those colors to this season for sure. We all get to play whatever emotions we come in the room with. Fantastic. Yeah. I was. I'm excited. Tilly gets angry this season. Like, oh boy. she gets pissed. And, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I might have accidentally, and it could squirrel in there, but it, not, not, not of uh, the writer's volition. Um, no, she, she has moments of uh, being frustrated this season, and I'm excited for that color too. Uh, she's gonna be tested, and um, yeah, I'm excited. For that. Well, I'm excited for you to see my home planet of Kaminar, uh, um, and, and to meet my sister Serana. She's also tall, thin, and supermodel-like. Gorgeous, <laughs> just gorgeous. Yeah, um, and Hannah Spear did an amazing job playing. Her. So uh, that and seeing how, how gorgeous my home planet is, it's it's very much uh, it's like a travel brochure. Yeah. How much of it do you get to see before the effects and all that stuff are added in? Is there enough on set to really get it? Really, <laughs> there was. They, they found a great location uh, uh, we, we film in Toronto so there was a it was, and that's right on Lake, Lake Ontario there's a lot of shoreline that gets very gorgeous the farther you get out of the city so we uh, we found a, a great spot that, that became Kamina yeah. Doug you I mean bringing through to life you, you obviously have to deal with like aesthetics and like all the, the added effects and stuff that many of your other fellow actors don't and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the importance of voice and getting his voice right and using that to convey emotions because that's where a lot of it comes from and it comes from beautifully but I was wondering if you talk about that oh, process. That's very sweet. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, Saru's voice I, uh, uh, came with a, with a, um, a personality type that, that, that wants to prove himself, that wants to be the most postured and polite person in the room, but he also wants to be, live by the rules. He wants to get everything right. He wants to uh, have, uh, present pure etiquette. And um, uh, so what comes with that, I think, is a very proper way of speaking. That he, He's almost, he's trying to, to good mid-Atlantic Sound like the, uh, the 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 cranes from uh, Frasier, you know how how they spoke very hoity toity all the time. Um, he's just the side of that, I think. Yeah, but uh, but not 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 because he's hoity toity, because he's terrified that he won't be. <laughs> I think that's it. You talk about Tilly getting angry this season. Do we see any 
anything like the Captain Killy scene from last year? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. I, don't, I also don't mean to sell it like that's the moment, but it's just an interesting color for me. You know, I, I don't think I've gotten to play that as her, so that's, inter- that's interesting to me. Um, yeah, I don't think I thought about that while it was happening, but that's like a really good point. I mean, if what Michelle was saying during the panel is true, that we all have the seed of humanity and it's a matter of where we're nurtured, um, that she contains the capacity for whatever, you know, Killy is, which is cruelty and rage and um, coldness. So, yeah, I mean, there has to be part of that in there because I think maybe biologically they're kind of the same. Yeah, that's a good question, and uh, I will use that. I'll steal that from you in the future. Yeah. Where do you personally uh, draw inspiration for Sarah? Oh, for Sarah. Oh, wow. Um, I have a brother. My oldest brother, Bobby, is a PhD in molecular biology. Uh, So when he talks to me, my eyes glaze over and I have no idea what he's saying. (laughs) Saru is some of him. Uh, And also, uh, if you ever watch Downton Abbey and you see how how the the, the house staff is very, very prim and proper and polite with the the family, I'm kind of the head butler of, of the ship. That's kind of how I, how I, how I feel. So, uh, yeah, there's some physicality there and some brains there. And uh, and also, uh, uh, even how I relate with, with, with a character like Tilly, who's like, you know, to me, behaviorally, she's kind of off the rails, and I want to reel her in sometimes because, young lady, decorum, decorum, decorum. So, uh, so I, I find myself as a, kind of like a, a school marm at the same time. <laughs> well, that's funny. In the Down Abbey, those head butlers are like, Carolyn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah exactly. they have exactly. that quality. Oh, I just wanted to say quickly, um, you touched yeah. in the panel on um, the response to Tilly, and I was wondering if maybe you could um, elaborate on that a little bit, because I know personally if I had seen a character like you when I was watching like The Next Generation, it would have been revolutionary for me. So you're kind of more, like, Tilly's very heroic, and she's very capable, but she's also very... Yeah, yeah. yeah she's not a superhero, is she? I mean, she's smart. Yeah. She's very smart, oh, yeah. um, but I think she uh, she contains the same stuff that we all contain. Um, certainly, that I, that I do. Um, I don't know. I've never been asked to play a superhero type character. I don't know why. But, so all I have to bring to it is what is what I myself have, and that's you know quirks and all, shortcomings and all. And um, but she, but she um, what Alex is saying on the panel that she always comes from a good place. That she always wants to do good. That's what's heroic, I think, is her desire to do the right thing and to help people, and and that's that's where that heroic thing comes in. Maybe that's why people love her. I still don't really know. <laughs> but I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a real honor. It's mine. Thank you. It was an honor. It was an honor, Doug Jones. It was an honor to meet you uh, and hear you speak about your character, and I would have talked to you about that shit forever. I, uh, I, I would kill to have you on a full episode of Zeros on Heroes, but uh, it was very cool for me. The next pairing that we had sit down with us uh, was uh, one of the Klingons, Mary Chifo, and... Uh, Vox slash Ash Tyler Shazad Latif and uh, we got to sit down and talk to them Hello, hello uh, Hi <laughs> a scholar and a captain Hey guys hi. Welcome to the smallest room <laughs> Yeah, it's very intimate. Yeah. Uh, Hi. Thank you. you uh, how did you guys feel seeing the full room at the panel just kind of packed all the way to the back? Mm-hmm. How was that experience for you to, to just kind of see that the response that you're getting from the from the fans? When you first go in, we can't see anything, so yeah. you feel safe. And then as soon as those lights went on, we were like, oh. <laughs> There's like a whole other level yeah. back there. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be so weird. Yeah. I try and do the thing where I just stare out to try and face up to it, and I'm really shitting myself. <laughs> I'm just like, it's good. I look it's at good. them, then it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I'm going to act brave. Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that the difference, you know, we were here last year, uh, and uh, three episodes had aired, and our, like, big episode four aired the next day. And of course, he couldn't even talk about the fact that it was his first 
big episode. <laughs> There's so much secrecy involved right now. Is there like a chopper hovering above you at any with like a sniper outside? She's talking. She's talking. Yeah, I do sometimes feel like a sniper could get me. Like I start to do some, say something, and I'm like, oh no! Wait. I like check my phone. I like put it on airplane mode. I'm sure they could still track me. But I try. You know, you try and stay close. So, so you know, the last season was very much about war, and the, the big thing now is it's very much about peace. Yeah. Seeing a new side of the Klingons now, not just literally with the hair, but like I imagine, you know, character-wise as well. Yeah. What, what, what can you say about the path that we're going to see them on in this season? Again, no spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out for the chopper. But what yeah. can what can you say about how what that path is and how it's different and, and where you think Well, um, for Laurel, she really is trying to be a good leader, and she is trying to find her way of upholding Takuma's vision of unification. It was very clear last season that a war against the Federation was not going to unify the Klingons. And she's trying to figure out how she can bring people together in, in a way that that is both innately Klingon, but also she just came from this experience where she was exposed to humans on a level she'd never had them before. And she's seen that there is something innately interesting and good about them. And um, that's something that I hope all diplomatic leaders can be, is even if they don't agree entirely with other people, they can see eye to eye that they want to keep things in line. So that's part of her struggle. And then they really are leaning into her being a, a, a lady Klingon in a patriarchal species. And that is something that is tricky. And there are a lot of things that people try and use against me because because of who I am. And then I got this guy. Now we see a lot of the intimate sort of, you know, bedroom scenes. There's quite, yeah. quite intimate how she deals with Tyler in, in those kind of places. And it's nice to see that. Because I don't see that. <laughs> the whole sort of conspiracy theory type thing last year was 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 fantastic. I mean, you know, there were forums after yeah, forums, yeah, yeah. you know, sort of discussing it, what, what really was going on, the, and even down to the point where like there was disinformation on IMDb, right? Yeah. Now, whose idea was that? Uh, there were so many people working in IMDb, yeah. Yeah, so all these places. I mean, I don't know the exact. I don't even. Yeah, I don't know the We IMDb don't even know much, but like, the idea well, when they when we had to like sort of backtrack and like, you know because it was getting out of hand and all this kind of stuff. Um, they said we've got to come up with a suit yeah. that. and I was like well I, I wanted to use my dad's name I just don't think but then you know in terms of who's there I don't know how many people there might be a whole room of people just, just, I, don't just know, like putting, out, yeah, I don't know I don't with know. the pictures of Oak and then of course there was real at the real Javed Iqbal um, on Twitter which I don't believe was CBS affiliated <laughs> but it was very entertaining and I couldn't like any of the things because I was like I can't give anything away because of the snipers them. yes exactly yeah. it's like the second I pressed it what are you doing yeah yeah. So it sounds like in season two we'll see Laurel show a little bit, bit more of a feminine side. Um, you were alluding to in the panel. Was it kind of freeing in season one? She's not traditionally feminine the way yes. we see, you know, femininity. Yes. Is that really freeing to like, just be able to be so powerful? Absolutely. It's it's one of my favorite elements of the character and what they allowed her to do. I mean, I felt that within her alienness, she was still allowed a, a great amount of sensuality, and certainly the scenes between. Both with Laurel and then ultimately with Tyler, there was there was a softness that I really pushed for. Um, and but yeah, I think what we're shifting towards is that's still there. And I was talking in, on that in that pod over there about the fact that because she is an alien woman, we still do view her as not gendered in the typical way. That there is still this kind of um, balance that we don't quite see. And I I feel like it's riffing off of these archetypal female characters but then taking a new twist on them and giving them more voice and I will say the embracing of the femininity it's just also giving more voice to that side of her giving more airspace to what was there in the first season but she still gets a lot of 
fearsome moments too. <laughs> Is there anyone that's who inspired you for the strength of your character, or anybody that you like think of, even in a subtle way? Um, well, within uh, Star Trek, I I really loved, particularly Grilka, who has two episodes of Deep Space Nine. She had just the way she carried herself. She was a full Klingon woman, which I loved, and uh, just the way she carried herself. But in real life, uh, Gwendolyn Christie is a huge role model for me. She's 6'3", she owns her height, she wears heels. Um, I just, you know, so often people, I'm six feet, and people be like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's tall, but they hide it really well. And I was like, why don't we just celebrate whatever size I am? And uh, so Gwendolyn Christie has been the first person that I've seen on carpets that's just completely owning her size that's similar to mine. I mean, we're very different, but um, if I were to say someone who just every time I think of her empowers me to stay true to myself. Given how complicated their history is, how would you sum up the relationship between your two characters in the second season? <laughs> complicated. Uh, I, well, I say we get just by the nature of the fact we're working together day to day, like every day, we definitely get closer. But there's a lot of confusion and, and, and normal everyday relationship things in the in those moments so it's, uh, it's definitely an exploration a deeper yeah, exploration yeah deeper exploration and before it was just yeah. you know, wild no one knew what was going on yeah. Just, yeah. time to listen yeah this time time to listen yeah. and empathy I think is big on both sides I think we we're trying we to come through it together yeah if only we were at like that last time yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. is this going to be Star Trek's first love triangle yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or our love rhombus that's, that's what we've been yeah, yeah. pushing love rhombus <laughs> and I'm platinum. How, how do we follow love rhombus? Um, so you are you guys familiar with the con experience and coming to comic cons and stuff like that? Is there anyone that you would cosplay as from Star Trek or otherwise? What would you dre- what would you what would you go for? What would you go as Captain Phasma? Wendell oh, I Christen? would for sure go as Captain Phasma. Also, can we get that spinoff going? Yeah, guys, I mean, Gwendolyn. I mean, yeah. Game of Thrones is over. She should be on Discovery now. That would be great. I need an agency. I don't know any yeah. agency. So are there any? There must be some. In the comic books, Amadeus Cho is the new Incredible Hulk. He's a Korean, um, my South Asian, South Asian. I'm Latino. I get that all the time. So they don't. No one specifies what it is. I'm Cuban, but everyone assumes all Latinos. Yeah. Um, but there, there must be some. We need to write something. Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, is Pakistani. Oh yeah. There's a. There's a. That's getting better. I mean. I'm sorry. This isn't my. I didn't mean to answer questions. This is your. That's your. But also Bellatrix Lestrange. Ooh, that's a good one. Just like that's great aesthetic. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Somehow I found a way to make it about me. Mission accomplished. Oh, I felt so dumb. They were very cool. Um, Mary and Shazad were very cool and uh, fun. They, were, they, were, they seemed like they were having a great time. Also having a great time was our final interview of that uh, session, which was with Sonequa Martin-Green herself. She's, uh, she's the lead and she was bright-eyed and full of energy and very fun and 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 just a just a delight to talk to and perfect for for press this this whole thing worked out really well i don't know what i was afraid of but <laughs> but she was very cool and uh she had a lot to say about uh the show and her character and a little bit about walking dead too uh take a listen hi welcome Welcome to our table. Since the panel, I just need to tell you that your look is like the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I love your hair. Oh, so I wish I could have your hair. The green, the teal. I want it. A pleasure. Thank you. Hello. What a nice table. Uh, so can you talk about your relationship with Spock? Yes. Well, 
I will tell you what I've been telling everywhere. And uh, this is all that I can tease, but it's a lot. Um, it is a very complicated relationship. It is a very complicated, difficult relationship. And um, we dig into it um, as, as deep as we can go. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate that it's not, uh, it's, it's far from easy and we go there and I think it's very courageous um, especially considering the canon um, I just think it's very courageous I think it's very well done and um, there is no stone left unturned and it's quite I don't know it's, it's beautiful but it's ugly but it's beautiful um, so yeah <laughs> uh, we, we've talked previously about the don't forget oh I'm sorry I didn't hear so very much Michael's journey. Yes. With that being the case, what can you tell us about your arc in season two? Well, I will say, you know, season two is deeply, deeply, deeply emotional. Um, season one was very emotional as well, but we go down to another level with season two. And there's certainly action, and the action's fantastic, but the emotion is, is really, really deep, and it's very challenging emotion as well. And so I hope that audiences, I hope that you come along and and risk your heart <laughs> because because it will be wrenched from all the emotion. Um, so one thing, speaking to that emotion, is that we have a lot to deal with after this war. You know, this war is over now, and now there is time to deal with the aftermath. Now there's time to deal with the residual effects of this war and, and the choices that we had to make and the things we suffered and the things that we lost those we have to deal with them now um, and so that's where a lot of the emotion is coming from we're getting acclimated to a new captain we're having a little bit of PTSD from our old captain you know there's there's a lot of bonds that have been broken a lot of bonds that have been uh, made anew so it's it, I, I love that we didn't just pick right in and say like oh it's great now that's not how it happens <laughs> Which is amazing, I think. Uh, I'm a huge uh, martial arts fan, and Michelle Yeoh is an icon to me. And, yes. and bring, she she seems to have crossed over, and she brings this energy that is is. It seems like you guys are. It's almost infectious. You guys kind of are forced to like. It just happens that you pick up on it. How has it been working with Michelle Yeoh, uh, someone who's been in in the yeah. an industry for a long time, and now she gets to you get yeah. to kind of work with her. Well, she's a living legend. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, and she couldn't be more graceful. And she couldn't be more humble. And she couldn't be more kind. And uh, unassuming. You know, she she gets... <laughs> I get at her all, every chance that I get. I'm like, everybody come look at this compilation video on YouTube of Michelle Yeoh. And, 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 you know, in honor of International Women's Day. And she's like, Sonequa. You know? And I'm like, what? look what you've been able to do. Look at what you've contributed. Look at what you've achieved. Look at who you are to so many people. She know? was a Bond. Uh, she was in, in one of the Bond yes, films as well. She was. And she she was a Bond woman at a time when Bond women were one dimensional. Exactly. And she said, no, no, no. I, yes. And that was her that was her yes, that was her contribution. She said, if I'm going to do this, I need to be my own hero. And and she made it happen. And, and so, I yes, I think she's a hero and I, I'm just so honored to, to, to stand next to her. Has she impacted your performances in, a, in any way that you feel like that you pull from her performances? Oh, well, no, I mean she definitely impacts me in the in, in the sense that you know her and I get to get to be shoulder to shoulder elbow to elbow in cool. the story together. That's pretty cool. Right? And so in that way you know and, and she, but she certainly impacted me separately from this show before this show. You know I, I was very aware of her and very inspired by um, so, you know, I tell her that every day, too. Oh, <laughs> and so. she's like, ah. I think it's a really interesting spectrum of Vulcan um, that we've seen throughout the years with Sarah being full Vulcan, Vulcan and Spock half and half, and now you are really fully human. Yeah. Do you think it's it makes it easier or harder that you have your full humanity at your disposal as an actor? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I think that... 
I think that whatever the parameters of your story are, um, you only have as much room as you give yourself. And I think that if you purpose to create as specifically as you possibly can within the narrative that you've been given, then you'll find a lot of room and you'll find all the things that you need at your disposal as an actor. Um, for me, being fully human, um, something that I noticed sort of looking back on it, you know, with hindsight being 2020 and all, is that there was a sort of floodgate uh, effect that happened uh, with Michael Burnham. Uh, having a cap on everything was, it was, a uh, um, there, there was more, there was more power to the boil being fully human, pretending to be a Vulcan, right? It's different when you're half Vulcan, it's really in your DNA. But when you're not, it's all an act, it's all image, it's all forcing, it's all control, it's all discipline, it's all these things. And so I feel that, you know, the pot, the water is like boiling, boiling, boiling underneath, and there's this really strong top on it, but eventually it blew off in season one, and I think everything came gushing out, and I remember there were people who were a little thrown off by how emotional I was as Burnham, but I do believe it was that flood, like flooding effect that happened where it just you know, sort of came out and you still see that you still see that happening because it's still flooding out, you've got years and years and years and years that need to flood out and a lot of things didn't get dealt with as Burnham because it was easier to put them in the attic than deal with them because they would make me dip, dip, dig into emotions that I uh, didn't want to dig into I've experienced fandom before in The Walking Dead, mm. did you really know what you were getting into when you took the role in Star Trek? That's that's another good question. I feel like I had an idea because I knew what Star Trek was and I knew how important it was. But you can never prepare yourself for the experience. You can never prepare yourself for that, for the panel. You can't prepare yourself for the stories that you hear, the one-on-one, like heart-to-heart connections that you get. You have an intellectual understanding, but you don't re- you don't really know. I knew intellectually what a big deal it was, but I've still been knocked off my feet. Yeah. Who does? Walking Dead. Oh, yes, that's right. There's this later on. What time is their panel? I think, oh, gosh, we have another event we have to go to. Imagine if you were to get up on the mic uh, to ask them a question. One day. I'm telling you, that's a Done. great idea. Next year. God oh, for it. sure. <laughs> Thank you, Thank Thank you, you Thank so much. Thank you so much. So if Sonequa Martin-Green mic bombs any Walking Dead panel anywhere, she got the idea from us. Credit where credit is due. Um, yeah, the show looks great. She was so cool. And um, the all of season one is on CBS All Access if you want to watch it. I highly recommend it. And uh, season two isn't going to be out till 2019, but that's just around the corner. Who knows? They're, they're, they really are making an effort to, to make it a big, big budget show. It really does look great and deserves to be on a bigger stage. I don't know why it's on that little streaming service, but uh, everybody's got to make money somehow. If you've made it this far into the podcast, that means you were okay with me recording at what sounded like a bar trying to talk to your friends. You know what I mean? It's just loud noises in the background. And again, I apologize, but that is the worst one of all of the sessions I recorded. That's, that's the worst one. So, um, you can look forward to the next ones, you know, not sounding it. I figured like a bandaid, just rip it off and give you the, 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 the roughest one first, but it's also the coolest one. Who knows? It was, it was a tough call. I got some cool stuff coming up for the next few episodes. Marvel Rising with uh, Milana Weintraub and a bunch of uh, awesome voice actors. That uh, that that show is really cool. You got um, I I got I was on the, I'm a big voiceover nerd, so I got on the the DC Lego Villains video game uh, roundtables, and I got to talk to D. Bradley Baker, who was cool as shit, and he's he, he's the guy that does the noises and everything. He's on American Dad. He's 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 a voiceover legend, and that was super cool. Super Mansion with Brian Cranston and Brecken Meyer. It was, it was a weekend full of stuff, and I can't wait to share it all with you. Remember to uh, share this with your friends if you thought it was cool, and you uh, have friends that want to listen to people talking in a restaurant. That is uh, cool by me. You know, go ahead, share, um, write us a review on iTunes. That would be really beneficial. And uh, 
Well, just listen, subscribe, have fun, and come out to the live shows every Thursday at the Creek of the Cave in Long Island City, Queens at 8 p.m. for Unsung Heroes. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Remember to go out and be heroic!